Large companies typically have subsidiary businesses that sell to each other. The idea is to build capability to deliver a vertical stack of services and expertise and essentially keep the money in the group. The problem is that most subsidiary businesses have enough independence to decide what the tools and technologies they can use to support their business. Sister companies become just another supplier, I guess. The challenge arises when it comes to consolidating the data and transactions to the parent company. According to EY, organizations are fighting through a thicket of clashing policies, processes, and technologies when handling intercompany transactions. A dimensional research study says 99% of organizations that participate in the study say intercompany is becoming increasingly complex and challenging, with 58% reporting that the volume is more than five times the annual revenue. In the quest to understand the challenge, 86% agree that intercompany is very much a misunderstood concept while 81% agree that intercompany is complex and messy. In today's podcast for Future CFO, we are joined by Victor Ng, Regional Vice President for Asia with Blackline, to try and understand the concept of intercompany accounting. Victor, welcome to Podchats for Future CFO. Hi, Alan. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting. What is intercompany accounting? So intercompany accounting, right, uh, really involves the recording of financial transactions between different legal entities within the same parent company. So you have uh, nicely summarized it just now during the intro, right? So it's all about, say, thinking about large companies that has multiple entities that provide services to each other. So say company A manufactures steel for company B, there is a car manufacturer, for example, right? Uh, And there'll definitely be intercompany transactions that happens between that and it gets very complex when this businesses are international, where there is regulation on taxation, foreign exchange rates, compliance, and it becomes more so when each intercompany records their finances differently. So I think some of the good examples of uh, intercompany accounting transactions, you know, obviously include the sales and purchase of services between the parent company and the subsidiaries, fees sharing, cost allocations, royalties, financing activities, leases with the parent and their subsidiaries. So that's the high-level intro of intercompany accounting. So how does it relate to intercompany financial management? I think firstly, we have to think about because there's just so many transactions that's going in between the parent and the subsidiaries or even among the subsidiaries themselves, right? The transactions between them firstly are not independent because it needs two parties and companies can't really include the profit and loss from these transactions on a consolidated financial statement. So in reality, when it comes to intercompany accounting or rather financial management itself, the parent company, they have to eliminate these transactions occurring between the subsidiaries because when transactions happens internally between the companies they must be removed so that they don't appear in the financial statement of the parent company because otherwise it will appear as an open balance and auditors starts to come in and start to questions and so on so that is one of the main big impact that a lot of organizations out there are really facing a challenge to fix as a follow-on to that what are the business Hmm. issues that the company must face with intercompany accounting and cash flow management uh, good question. So definitely lining up to the next detailed category of it, right? So obviously being intercompany accounting process, it's very complex. Like what I shared just now, when there is uh, local tax policies, currencies, transfer pricing, different systems. I think one of the areas here is we have recently done a global survey where the stakeholders from Dimensional Research actually found that there's almost 99% of them reported challenges with intercompany, right? And within that report, uh, actually it's very in 
line to what we see as well with our customer base. So the first main issue would really be the lack of integration among systems. Typically will be the ERP systems itself because the more entities they are, like what you mentioned in your intro just now, a lot of these subsidiaries, they can make their own decisions on what systems or tools they want to run on. So obviously there's a lot of integration issues, right? There's no standardization. 52% of them reported that there's a need to manage operations and compliance across more tax jurisdiction. Uh, international business, it could be from India trading with uh, in the US, subsidiary in the US. So there's obviously a lot of tax jurisdiction there. 49% of them reported more stringent document requirements and then some of it will be in the areas of tax and audit requirements growth in volume and value of variances are also one of the main challenges that they're trying to look at right and uh, increasing regulatory hurdles expanding volume of disputes now disputes is one area that uh, over here in black line we quite commonly see that is between the subsidiaries themselves right when there's a transaction sometimes there's bound to be disputes to say that hey i did not make this service uh, the amount is incorrect and then when it comes to the back and forth of how they want to eliminate the balances that that's where the main challenges are right yeah other than that will be very typical problems that we see across the process is also a very labor intensive and a very costly uh, effort to the organization right different data from different subsidiaries there's a very big risk if the data is not uh, accurate if I step back a bit, in the last yeah. couple of years, there's been an, a significant increase in mergers and acquisitions. According to Refinitiv, mm-hmm. global M&A value reached $5.8 trillion in 2021, up 64% from the previous year. Now, mm-hmm. Why and how is the automation of intercompany accounting crucial to the success of these uh, post-merger activities? Good question there. So obviously when it comes to mergers and acquisition, you know, it's always coming back to the most common challenges that this organization face would be technically the standardization of the process, the people and the technology, right? That is uh, typically found in all these post-mergers uh, situation. And given the challenges that is faced by the stakeholders themselves within the intercompany accounting, there's always a big need for a structured end-to-end process to reduce the whole complexity of the post-merger uh, process. So, you know, from the black line perspective and what we have been talking to our partners from the consulting firms, I mean, the enterprises out there can really consider, right, automating uh, these areas to basically reduce the risk. So one would be on postings for both trades. So the standard transfer pricing and non-trade, right? So things like management fees, royalties, loans, allocation across the sender and receiver. So this will be one of the main areas to look at. Secondly would be to try and automate the matching process between the dispute management to the point where very little human intervention is needed. So the more the machine can handle all the matching of transactions between the intercompany, the better. Uh, So this goes all the way to month-end reconciliation. And with this, uh, companies can even create a central repository of all intercompany transactions. So pretty much a single version of truth for finance and accounting, right? Thirdly will be the settlement procedure should be automated, right? Integrated into the treasury management system. So with this, the working capital is optimized. You know, there's no unnecessary funding for intercompany transactions. And I think last one will be on Forex gains and losses should be automatically recorded and be clearly identifiable on the ledgers. So these are some of the key areas to be successful in post-mergers scenarios. In reality, your experience, Mm -hmm. Are all these things that you've mentioned, they sound 
easy if you have everything <laughs> automated. But in reality, when you meet up with customers in the region, yeah. more or less, are there more instances where things are really messy? That it's a lot of challenges for the accounting departments of both sides, mm. the sell- seller and the buyer, and including the auditing firm that needs to come in and, <laughs> and remediate with all of this and the legal organization as well. Yeah, absolutely, uh, uh, Alan. I think what we strive to do is to provide best practices and so on. But the, I mean, most of the large corporations that we have seen, even here in Asia alone, they are in the, I would say, in the journey to transform themselves. The good thing is a lot of these large corporations have started to realize the problems that they have. They speak to us, they speak to our audit partners and so on, and then they start to identify which are the priority areas to solve. And intercompany is always out there. You know, recently, even in the Philippines, right, the, the PIR is putting a lot of regulation to ensure that large conglomerates out there have accurate reporting of their intercompany transactions. So I would say some are way ahead of others, some not yet, but there's definitely initiatives right now for them to look into it. Good to hear that. Now, let's mm. talk about red flags. For mm. CFOs, what would be intercompany red flags that they need to look out for before these things affect the business itself? Oh, yeah. I think when you talk about red flags, so obviously identifying all these intercompany issues within a you know multinational organization, it's not easy, right? You're talking about a parent company with 50 CFOs running 50 entities, for example, right? So, so typically what we see if an organization or a CFO out there can start to identify some of these red flags that is commonly seen, I think that actually help you to prioritize which area you should look at. The red flag number one, the most common one that we have seen would be unreconsult intercompany account. So this is quite obvious. So pretty much do check if your organization is carrying a significant intercompany balance because intercompany counterparties cannot really be identified. Where is this transaction going to? You know, where is this transaction coming from? Right. So if there is an open balance there, that's definitely a big red flag. Uh, red flag number two, this is another common one where we are also seeing that there's a very large intercompany center of excellence. A COE, right, in this case. So it's a pretty much like a chat service of bodies that in organization that work across different business units or product lines, subject matter experts, they sit in the back end to manage the entire company's finance and accounting operations. While it's great, but typically what we've seen is a lot of chat services are just getting bigger and bigger by putting in more and more resources and bodies. But are they really optimizing it? Not sure, right? So if there's a very big and costly team out there, something to look at. Third one will be quite an obvious one, tax audit issues, right? If they have tax audits that they know that is being flagged by the auditors, that's definitely uh, a red flag for intercompany vulnerability. Transfer pricing, that's also pretty straightforward. You know, the pricing of transactions between related parties. I sell services to you, what's that price? And then when it gets converted to the local currency plus tax and so on. And if there's a, a lot of constant review of this transfer pricing between parties, then that means that there is no structure, right? Someone needs, I mean, they need to start to look at how they can they should restate their accounts. Another one that is very popular will be disputes. From a CFO standpoint, if you see there's a lot of dispute going around your subsidiaries, then that means there is definitely a problem somewhere, right? And I think one last one that I would like to add on will be the lack of transparency. So this will be a question to the CFOs themselves, right? Like how visible it is for you as a CFO to be able to see where's the bottleneck, what's the issues between the intercompany processes that you have. Do you have even all the data at your fingertips, for example? 
example, right? Are they all sitting in different Excel files and folders somewhere? So these are you know, really some of the common red flags that we have seen. In fact, the not so finance related red flags, we have also seen HR red flags, you know, mm. attrition, people getting burned out. I think this is quite common, not just for intercompany, but from a finance and accounting world you know, people that we have been talking to, they're starting to see people getting bored of the mundane, not sustainable work that they do every month. It's always the same thing looking at the Excel file. So they want to do something different. They want to be doing something more strategic in the uh, organization, right? So that can also be potentially a red flag to look at. Interesting, all of these little problems that don't normally come up until you actually oh, start yes. investigating these things. Okay. Oh, earlier, you mentioned some mm. best practices. If you could drill mm. down a bit, can you name some best practices towards achieving intercompany accounting excellence? So firstly, it's all about automation, right? To reduce the whole uh, manual work that is involved in the intercompany process is to reduce the human errors, free up time for accountants so that they can be analyzing numbers and do analytics, for example, right? Or rather than just doing the tick and tie of uh, the accounting process. So some of these best practices, uh, I would say there will be four main ones from an intercompany accounting excellence standpoint. First one would be the transaction creation. So this is, where organizations out there, they should ensure that there is proper trading rules and agreements and then they are able to then automate the transfer pricing workflow. So when one entity you know, does a transfer pricing to another entity, there needs to be an automation there, there's a standard process flow uh, and there should be an automation in terms of posting across the different ledgers as well. Secondly, will be on the balancing and substantiation part. So this is key. They need to see whether there is a way to automate the whole process of balancing their AR and AP postings with automated exception handling, right? So that they can ensure that there's also proper documentation to substantiate those postings. Think of it in the past, if everything is manual, a lot of the substantiation is done with emails. Someone writes something on a document, file it in the folder. And then when it comes to the yearly audit, they will have to you know, struggle to find a folder to explain why there's the differences in the balance. If everything is online, digital, with audit training, that gives a very, very efficient way of substantiation, right? A third one, it's on uh, netting and settlement. Uh, so this is really to have the ability to create an advanced netting and settlement process. So again, moving away from the manual process where you get the system to automate the whole netting and settlement process for you. So basically, automatically clearing the gains and losses of exchange rates movements, for example. So instead of manually having to calculate it in Excel or manual processes, get the system to do it for you, right, with uh, real-time updates. And lastly, will be on consolidation and elimination. So uh, having the system to automate postings of uh, elimination entries. So this is very key because like I've mentioned just now, if balances are not eliminated correctly, it will appear as an unbalanced number somewhere in, in the corporate books and then it will not look good, right? So, you know, ensuring that the system will be able to handle top-side adjustments wherever needed, right? So these are some of the best practices that we have seen where you will work in connected you know across the different intercompany process but i think what we have seen is uh, each step should be reviewed for the priority is simplicity so we have seen customers of ours starting in the elimination area and not the creation area first. some of them actually starting on the transfer pricing or netting and settlement area first it depends on which are the more problematic areas that they are uh, actually facing at the moment it can be a big bang approach but it can also be a piecemeal which one that has the most pain to them 
Uh, what is your advice for CFOs? And could be the, in, hmm. the intercompany CFOs, it could be the group CFO looking into finally streamlining this intercompany accounting practice that they have. Where do they begin or how do they start this uh, journey? Very good question there, right? So typically what we have seen a lot of the CFOs is what they do is they will try to look at the corporate vision, right? What What is it they want to achieve first? I think that's very important. And most of the time, what we have seen CFOs now, they are starting to be a partner of the entire technology modernization initiative, right? How, how can they ensure that from a finance standpoint, they are a great partner to be working with in the entire journey of going, moving to cloud, doing finance transformation, and so on. Then with that, they have to start prioritizing which areas would mean that they can free up resources to be able to let those resources to be part of the whole big journey that the company is working on. So think about, could it be an ERP upgrade or is it IFRS initiative, for example? And how can they find resources? They can't just pull people in. You know, the best is would be to enhance the capacity. This is like, this is what we like to say, right? How can a CFO help enhance the capacity of his resources? And typically, when it when they start drilling down, where are the areas where resources are being bogged down by a lot of work? Would be the day-to-day accounting process, which in reality would be on intercompanies uh, accounting process, right? especially for very large organization. So what we have helped a lot of our uh, clients out there is to provide a point of view kind of workshops for them. We work hand in hand. You know, together with our consulting partners as well. So we give them a point of view, right, of basically where you are right now, where you can be in the next six months to a year, what are the kinds of benefits that you get out from that. And then we pick out of that 15 strategy that they may have, what will be the top three main priority and start from there. I think that's very important instead of, I mean, we have seen some very visionary C-levels say, I want to do everything at, at one go, you know, but I think what we see, I think the advice here would be to pick that top two, top three main ones, the main problems, and then solve it from that, right? And Victor, thank yeah. you for joining us on Podcast for Future CFO. My pleasure as well, Alan. Thank you. That was Victor Nang, Regional Vice President for Asia at Blackline, on the topic of why intercompany accounting is crucial for post-merger success. You are listening in the podcast for Future CFO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CFO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CFO. Bye for now.